Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Many people know the influence the Mafia, La Cosa Nostra, held over the U.S. for decades. They controlled entire cities and industries with fear and intimidation tactics. Of all the enforcers that ever dominated headlines or crossed county courts, and all the infamous criminals that ever held sway in the minds of the public, perhaps none was more fierce than Richard the Iceman Kuklinski. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and anything and anyone in between. We're here, back again, your hosts, eye for an eye. My name is Matt, if you're not familiar, and I'm here with my lovely co-hostesses, ladies, tell them what's up. Hello, I'm Lisa, obviously. Lisa and Jules, the better half of the squad. Oh, hey, y'all. Thank you for that comment, Jules, I appreciate that. We're going to take that under advisement, and I'm going to try better. Today... We're going to talk about a, definitely one of the wildest, most, I like the word fierce, guys. I keep coming back to that. Just fearsome, fierce, just blah, outright. Yeah, this guy. Blah. This guy was just, I mean, he, he just liked to kill people. You know, some of us like weed, some of us like traveling, some of us like dogs, some of us like food. Some of us just like a cold-blooded Murder. Yeah, this dude was all about that. Just murking people. Richard the Iceman Kuklinski is our subject today, if you're not familiar. For the majority of his adult life, Richard Kuklinski operated with impunity and committed literally hundreds of crimes. Everything from robbery to murder to arson to extortion. You name it, this guy probably had a hand in it. Uh, he ruled over an area, New Jersey and New York, and his reign of terror spanned almost 50 years. This guy was out running shit. For the time he was active, Richard Kuklinski accumulated a confirmed dozens of murders. Dozens. He was feared as a violent man, even amongst his own family. Those who knew him best said he was always just one moment away from snapping into a murderous rage. It's pretty frightening. 
there are a lot of these killers we read about, we hear about, it's told secondhand. We know so much about Richard Kuklinski because of his candor and openness in interviews after he was arrested, guys, which we're going to play some clips today, which I think are very interesting. He gave full testimonials of the murders he committed. Seriously, broke it down for you, spawning numerous documentaries and multiple videos on YouTube. Go watch them. They're nuts. Uh, although it's never really been confirmed, Kuklinski alleged that he may have killed as many as hundreds of people over the years. Hundreds. He's like, I'm not sure. I, I lost count somewhere in the middle there. Listening to his interviews are crazy. Out of left field, some of the stuff he says. I mean, he makes it seem like, yeah, you know, I killed him and then moved on, had a sandwich. Very matter of fact. And hey, you know, that's fine, I guess, if you're into that. But uh, most people are not. So shout out my boy Griggs, though, man. Griggs would have loved his interviews. My boy. I hope he listens to our podcast and realizes how much he gets shouted out. I really do. I want to, for Greg's, I want him to know. I want him to know we love him. And we're here for him if he needs to talk to somebody. My boy. Kuklinski <laughs> alleged he may have killed over hundreds of people over many years. And his murders and confession tapes have become the stuff of legend. He's actually now considered one of the most infamous serial killers in U.S. history, guys. So we're going to tell a little bit about his story today with the Iceman. The Iceman has come in. The Iceman, Richard L. Kuklinski, was born April 3rd, 1935 in Jersey City, New Jersey. His family was poor, and he had to struggle from a young age in just about every aspect of his personal and social life. He was the second of four children of Irish and Polish immigrants. His mother, Anna McNally, sorry, I couldn't help myself, was a devout Catholic. His father, Stanley Kuklinski, was a railroad worker and reportedly a very hard man. Stanley was a violent alcoholic who beat his children regularly. In fact, Richard's brother actually reportedly died from a brutal beating where he was allegedly thrown down the stairs. Yeah. So, my parents were strict. Never was I thrown down any fucking stairs, though. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I have different opinions on spanking and stuff. I guess that goes along with it. I don't think you should ever put your hands on your kid. I don't think that teaches them anything other than fear. And I don't think fear is a good way to get a point across. I think um, fear might have been what they were going for here, though. Well, that's what everyone's going for when it's control and fear when you give your kids spankings, don't right? You, you want them to be afraid of doing the action because they don't want to get spanked. Right. Don't we talk about so often, though, with these cases, how these people who are the really violent, the truly deranged, really, I mean, honestly, driven to hurt people, those people were so often abused. Mm -hmm. It's sure. like a trigger. Yeah. It's well, it's, it's, it is a, it's a legitimate trend. Bullies bully, get bullied and then bully other people. It people is. People who are sexually abused, unfortunately, grow up to be statistically higher more likely to commit crimes themselves. And I think it's one of the same things. His father's actions put into his brain that violence was okay, violence was the norm, and violence is how you get shit done. Yep. And Richard carried that throughout his whole life. I love in the movie Head of State where Chris Rock was being interviewed and he's running for president, he says, just talking about childhood and fear. Sorry to go off on a tangent. But he says, 
I never committed crime because when I was a kid, my daddy caught me doing something wrong and he knocked me out. He walked in the room and he knocked me the hell out. It's literally what happened 16 years prior to what happened in 2016. But he basically is knock out your kids. It helps. I'm going to go ahead and say, guys, knocking out your kids does not help. Do not advise. Not advised. His father, obviously, not a good influence. His mother was also fond of beating her son with a broomstick, often until it broke in half. She was a strict Catholic woman who believed that children should be raised under the guidance of the Roman Catholic Church and all its doctrines. This became the foundation for Richard's hatred of authority. Can't imagine why. Can't blame him. Can't imagine where that came from. Kuklinski alleged later in life that he began killing cats as a child. Now, we know this now is an early sign of psychopathic tendencies, of course, violence towards animals. Later in his life, it was concluded that Richard Kuklinski exhibited almost every core trait associated with psychopathy, which I believe is arson, violence towards animals, and bedwetting. Thank you, Lise. Roll down. Got him. From the research conducted, new insight was gained into both Richard Kuklinski and the extended use of the various psychopathy models after his interviews because he talked a little bit about how he became and what he was, which I think is really interesting, actually. It was almost, you know, when we talk about should we kill these people or should we keep them alive, this is an example that this dude obviously did a lot of terrible things, but interviewing him was... Enormously helpful in diagnosing some of these trends. A little bit about Kuklinski himself as a person. As an adult, this dude grew to be a towering 6'5", 300 pounds. It's a big dude. Big dude. Big dude. Not somebody you want to fuck with, you know? I'm not <laughs> messing with him. I wouldn't mess with him with the 100-foot pole. No. So he's imposing... Big, fearsome frame, and he's obviously looking at people, looking down on them. And it became pretty apparent to him that he was able to intimidate people surely because of his size and girth. I mean, when you learn that at a young age, it's inherent in you that, hey, I can kind of kick anyone's ass, so who am I to be afraid of? In pretty much any way imaginable, Richard Kuklinski's a scary dude, right? We don't need to say anything more than that. So let's get into a little bit about his criminal activity. His first reported crime, and this is again coming from him, was before he was a teenager. He worked as a screen projector in a local theater and was caught bootlegging tapes. My boy. Kind of impressive that he was that young thinking that way to me. And also kind of terrifying. He had it in mind at a very young age. He was like, I'm going to commit crimes. Think about it. This dude could have been an all-pro linebacker. You know? Maybe he just wasn't good at throwing a football. To be a linebacker, he wouldn't have to be. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, football player. It seems like the bootlegging was more of like, well, I'm not trying to obviously condone his actions, but it was like a resourcefulness, you know? Like, it doesn't seem like he had a great upbringing. So maybe he's like trying to get, you know, movies for him and his friends and, you know, his siblings. Jules, that's a great point, too, because all that we learn about this guy, and we'll talk about all his criminal activities, he was basically in the whatever. If it's a crime, I'll do it. If it makes me money, sure. You got to whack somebody, no biggie. 
Yeah, why not? I agree. It shows his resourcefulness. And I mean, he killed people a lot of different ways too. He talks a little bit about that and obviously got away with it for a while. So yeah, it does kind of show that he really was, not only was he criminally inclined, shall we say, he was also pretty smart in that regard and was able to get away with a lot of it. But he graduated pretty quickly from bootlegging tapes to committing murder. He committed his first murder as a teenager. He beat a local bully to death and then disposed of his body by removing any identifying markers. Yeah. Clothing, rings, personal effects, etc. And then tossed the body away so the guy couldn't really be found. What? Resourceful. There it is, Jules, exactly. So from a formative age, again, not only the inclination to kill, but to try to evade being caught. But also, where was this that kid's parents? Oh, yeah. I mean, this like, was... Why did nobody was, what, find 19... him? How could a teenager get away with such a savvy crime? I mean, it was like, what, 1950s? Yeah, New Jersey back in, you know, post-war era. I don't know. Maybe he tossed him in the... What? Yeah, I mean, a lot of shit was going on back then, honestly, between, I mean, the Korean War, but between World War II and Vietnam, there was a lot of wild shit happening in America. Technically, it was a time of prosperity, if you look at it in a historical perspective. But honestly, there was a lot of, that's when the mafia was running shit, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I think he probably picked something up from the local boys down on the corner store. They're like, you got to kill somebody, you throw them in the fucking river. You know? <laughs> he was like, oh, that seems easy. I'm big enough to do that. So. I think of it. Song is but on TikTok and it's. Yeah. So I'm like. That's it, Jules. What a time. What a time. What a time to be alive. He learned about violence, obviously, at a very young age and how effective it was in establishing control and dominance. That lasted throughout his life of crime. You'll hear here a little bit about this and how he carried that. Keep in mind, this was all prior to DNA evidence becoming such a prevalent part of investigations. Nowadays, everything we read about is, oh yeah, identifying hairs, fingerprints, semen, these markers were noted at the crimes. That's before all that was tracked and recorded, you know? Nobody was following any CCTV here. This guy was doing some crazy shit. There's something to make note of, too, because he would later become known for his efficiency in disposing of victims and getting away with murders by just, again, Jules being resourceful and never being identified as the killer. He was doing all this and nobody knew who, who it was. Or they knew, but they were in on it. Yeah, it could very well have been, Lise. Or they just were like, yeah, it was Kuklinski. We're not going to mess with him. You know, I would have been like, ah, don't worry about it. It's just rich. Um, just kidding. Just, it's just rich. Oh, Rick. So Kuklinski, he would have been 14, 15 at the time, dropped out of school in the eighth grade. Eighth grade. And he dipped out. At that point, he was already a seasoned criminal. He showed no hesitation killing anyone who angered him. From loudmouths who reminded him of his father to adversaries at the pool table. Even for seemingly no reason at all, he alleges he would resort to violence. He claimed that on the west side of New York City, where the crime rate was high already, Richard would test his skills by killing vagrants on the streets. What? That's awful. He's just like, what do you guys want to do tonight? I don't know. Go kill some guy? It speaks to the fact of how people see 
quote unquote vagrants or homeless people or people that are less fortunate. Is it unfortunately people turn an eye or turn a cheek? They do on those individuals, which makes it really sad because they're a vulnerable population. They are. That's a exactly population. right. People look at it as like, well. That's what you get. And it's, you know, mm -hmm. I, that's not what you deserve because you were living out in, in the streets. I mean, for any number of reasons, people could be that. Like, this guy was picking people randomly. I'm not saying to get murdered, but I'm saying, like, to die tragically. You don't deserve anything like that. You're not associated with that. No matter what life you're living, you don't deserve to be killed at random by a serial killer. So I just want that noted because like, I agree they are an at-risk population that people often overlook. His criminal activities at that point, and again, we're talking about his mid-teen years, 15 to 18. His criminal activities included everything from robbery to hijackings, burglary, assault, even selling pornographic films. Wow. Guy was uh, really a jack-of-all-trades entrepreneur. At that time, though, he was already a hardened killer and had learned the ways of the streets. At age 18... Richard earned the respect of his local mafia members by killing a random man selected for him on the sidewalk. This is the craziest story because he retells it himself. Yes. It's, you'll hear it. We're going to play it for you right now. This is literally. It was money and contract killing. To prove himself, he auditioned for Mafia Capo Boy de Mayo. Said, well, I would expect you to, uh, if you came with me, I'd expect you to, uh, if I told you to whack somebody, you'd whack them without any question. So I said, well, I could probably do that. He says, uh, you probably could do it or could you do it? Did you, do you think you could do it? And I said, yeah, I think I could do it. So he told Freddie to get the car, got the car. He and I got in the back seat. Freddie was driving. We drove someplace, I don't know where it was, it was someplace in New York. And we were sitting there for a while, we got to where we were going, we were sitting there for a while, and a man came distant, he was walking his dog, it looked like. She said, all right, take this guy down. I said, which, what, which guy are we talking about here? So he says, the man walking the dog. He's like, and as he comes, I him walking towards the man. The man was walking his dog just like a regular guy. As he passed me, he turned around and shot. Freddie and Roy pulled up in the car. I got in the car and we drove away. And that is how I got involved with Roy. Like that. Wow. Can we be any more clear and concise than that? At that time, the Genovese crime family, one of the five families in New York, took notice of Richard. It was shortly after that murder that young Richard, a man with a propensity for violence, became an integral part of the Mafia's reign of terror. He was given a license to kill, 007, and contracted by the family as one of their enforcers. The rest is a series of violent and disturbing history. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about how Kuklinski became what we know it, note as the master of murder. He very quickly became one of the Genovese's crime family's most indispensable hitmen, known for thoroughly disposing of his victims. He would remove teeth and fingers, dump bodies off bridges, in rivers, down mine shafts. He was also a sound businessman, 
a killer for profit as well as out of enjoyment and an equal opportunity murderer. Wow. I suppose if you're in the mafia or whatever and you find someone that's this cold-blooded, you've hit the lottery, right? So, like, you want people to fear you. And if people on the street, which I'm sure people did, know that they have a boogeyman out in the night who has no qualms about who you are, where you came from, if you're, you know, whoever you are. It doesn't, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. Yeah. Right? I don't form an alliance with you. It's likely you're going to come after me for something. To me, it's like Richard probably presented himself as a threatening figure, right? Yeah. Look at him. Yeah. He doesn't right? have to present himself. Exactly. He looks threatening. The local made guys were, which obviously for anybody who hasn't seen Goodfellas means you're in the mafia and you're a member actively. They looked at this dude and were like, well... <laughs> If you owe us money, we'll just send Big Rick over here. I mean, he's he'll collect. Don't worry. Yeah, I'm I mean, gonna give him all kinds of names. That's what I'm saying, Lee. He pulls up to your front door. You're like, here, you can have my first kid. Here's the money I owe you, and here's my first kid. As we said, he was an equal opportunity murderer. He would take any job given to him. I say that because he also worked for Newark's De Cavalcanti family and the Gambinos of New York City on reported occasions. So he was working for three different influential mafia families in Newark and New York. Just chilling. Just chilling. And the crazy thing, again, I and mean, when I say equal opportunity, I don't just mean he would kill for any reason. He would kill with anything, any utensil. His resume included guns, ice picks, knives, hand grenades, crossbows, cyanide, and chainsaws. And... Chainsaw. And chainsaws. Yeah, that's my utensil. That's actually how I eat my... Uh, he didn't put a fork in here, but I'm... My chicken parmesan. Or another, and he thought... A fork? Parmesan. Yeah. That's, I eat with chainsaw. This guy might have killed somebody with a salt packet, honestly. <laughs> it's the worst paper cut of all time. That's so, what I got. As we said, an opportunistic killer. He later confessed that his favorite method of murder was a nasal spray bottle filled with cyanide. Me too. We have a recorded clip, actually, of him talking to an undercover detective, and we will play that later, where he what the, what the, where he ordered a large quantity of cyanide. Holy God, from where? The uh, cyanide. Well, it was from the cops. This is before Silk Road, guys, so he was probably just asking around. How do you find cyanide? Not for me, but before the Silk Road, how do you find anything? Just like a plug, a plug, a plug. I played the fifth, Lisa. I don't know. I've never Not 100% that's where to find I don't know where that would be. No, anyway. Mad's incriminating himself. <laughs> when asked why he used cyanide, though, and this is my favorite part, Richard said, why be messy? Okay. Why be messy? Why be messy? So he was a cleanly killer. We'll call him the cleanly killer. What a Kuklinski, what a nickname. Yeah, right? Kuklinski actually learned a good number of his tactics from fellow hitman Robert Prong, who was also a mafia hitman and a serial killer that later became known as Mr. Softy because his cover was as an ice cream man. Did you guys have Mr. Softy? Oh, it's an ice cream truck. We had it like when I grew up in Philly. Listen, be aware, kids. Fun fact. Don't do drugs. Don't do drugs, and always look out for the weird guy driving the van. You just don't know. He's probably killed 67 people but in that morning. And Get the ice cream. Don't miss out the, on the ice cream. No, yeah, I'm encouraging you get the ice cream, but 
Don't get it. We know what happens when ice cream places put the incorrect mascot in front. Richard McGinnis. Yep, you get accused of all kinds of shit down the wrong path, kids. Let's just say that. You wear the wrong fucking colors. You might have Richard's coming. Yeah, Richard. Big Rick. Scared of this dude, man. Is he? I'm giving him all the cool nicknames he can have because this dude, even though he's dead, we're going to play a clip for you here of an interview with Richard Kuklinski after his arrest where he talks about how easy it is to provoke him to kill someone. Let's listen. How much would somebody have to humiliate you before he would become obsessed with killing him? It would it'd be the degree he humiliated me. It's whether or not my... And it would be the time. It would be how my attitude was. If I was jumpy or edgy, it wouldn't take much. If I was passive, then uh, he, he might get away with it. But no one really knew. You almost made me mad. I know. What made you mad about that? I don't know. But you almost did. Can you figure out what it is? No. Try to look at it. Look at what made you mad there. I don't know. I think it must have been something you said. Yeah. Obviously, but I don't know. Could it be that I was challenging you, and it sounded judgmental. Good clip. Scary clip. We're talking about all of this and how easy it is for Richard to be provoked into killing someone and how he would just fly off the handle and just snap into a murderous rage, right? Let's keep in mind, this man had a family while all this was going on. He was a a dad, a husband. Richard met his second wife, Barbara Pedrici, in 1960. At the time, Barbara was only 18 and Richard was 25. Kiklinski was already married with a child, but he fell madly in love with Barbara. You must be special if Mr. I'm gonna kill everybody in my path falls in love with you. Yeah, is obsessed. Not only that, it sounds like he was pretty violently obsessed. Yeah, it's Violent would be the key word. Violent would be the ultimate word. Barbara feared and her friends feared that she was spending all her time with Kuklinski and felt cut off from her family and friends and considered ending the relationship at one point. When she told Richard Kuklinski of her concerns about being cut off from her family, he pulled a knife and stabbed her superficially in the back, saying, That is an object lesson. Never leave me. The couple went on to have three children, two daughters and a son. So... Yeah, might as well get something out of the deal. Unreal. As it was adequately described above, Richard was a bit of a Jekyll and a bit of a Hyde type character. He loved his family and wanted all the best things for them, and Barbara points that out numerous times. However, he suffered fits of anger and rage that led to Barbara being beaten. He attacked her numerous times, breaking her ribs, blackening her eyes, and tearing their house apart on more than one occasion. His murder streak obviously had carried over, but he he didn't actually ever kill any of his family members, but he obviously included them as punching bags and outlets for his violence. He was a psychopath, purebred, and living with a family while also maintaining a criminal organization and murdering multiple people must have been something of a challenge for him. Barbara actually said that they enjoyed financially comfortable life with Kuklinski. 
He sent their children to the best schools. Money was never an issue. They never struggled to pay bills. But for that, Barbara and her children were living with a murderer. It's like, we'd all love to not have to worry about anything monetarily, but you're also living with a psycho. Yeah. One of the scariest things is the idea of not knowing who you're living with. I think it's up there with stalking, right? Not knowing. I guess I just don't like not knowing. I'm a very, I won best source of information in high school because <laughs> I like knowing things. And because my classmates wanted to fucking punch me in the face. Yeah. Yeah, I did. You also like to gossip. Yeah. Well, people tell me things. I just am a beacon of it. Some people tell you things. No, I'm kidding. It's funny because for all that we've talked about, Richard, and you're right, Lisa, you don't know who you're living with because he tried to give his family everything he was deprived of as a child. So all that we talked about him being a psycho and him killing all these people at will and random, he took care of his family. Financially, his kids even said he was never really an absentee father. He made at least five figures for every murder he committed for the mafia, which might have been dozens, so the dude could have been loaded. As best as he could, Kuklinski attempted to shield his children from the uglier side of the business that he thrived in, which was murder for profit. It's crazy to think about because imagine, like you said, living with someone like that and you don't even know what they're really doing. But in the meantime, it's like, I look at him as dad. You know, he was this weird old man who I didn't like him being around my friends because he would say some weird shit. Meanwhile, he was killing people during his day-to-day -day job. How would you ever know that? Um, well, how could you even fathom that? How could you think that? Right, yeah, dad makes good money. I don't know what the hell he does. He runs a consulting business for all I know. My dad could be a fucking serial killer for all I know. I know. He's just always doing something in business, and I never know what he's doing. You'd never think that about your parents. That's the thing. It's, it's just one of those inherent, I trust my parents aren't fucking raging psychopaths. But his fame, and again, we should say infamy, but depending on how you look at it, and from the criminal element, fame spread amongst the criminal community for his efficiency with the disposal of his victims. Because, I mean, if you need a body to get gotten rid of, Rick could do it for you. Richard was, he was known for that. What? He earned the moniker, the Iceman, which we've alleged and called him a few times, for freezing many of his victims to obfuscate their time of death. That's insane to me. So it's like their bodies are frozen. You can't tell when they died. So you just freeze them, throw them in the river. Who knows when they died? Could have been for six months. I feel like that's very knowledgeable for the time. Yeah, right? I mean, you know what? Like knowledge comes with experience is what I keep thinking, Jules. This motherfucker got used to, I'm not going to get caught for this. I'm going to do whatever I got to do, and I'm not going to get caught for this. I mean, he would avoid detection from the authorities innumerable ways. And he eventually confessed to some truly disgusting methods of getting rid of bodies, honestly. Everything from dismemberment with a chainsaw like that to large vats of acid, dumping them in rivers, burying them, throwing them down mine shafts. It all fit into his arsenal. He was like, wherever I can stash them and dash them, I'm not doing anything that's going to be, you know, caught in any trouble. Eventually, this all started to catch up to Richard. He was doing quite a bit. He was running a robbery squad. He was working for three different mafia families based on whatever, you know, the highest payout was, I assume. This eventually brought him to the attention of Pat 
Kane. Patty, an officer with the New Jersey State Police. When an informant helped connect Kane to a gang carrying out burglaries in northern New Jersey. If it weren't for this informant, we would have never heard about some of Richard's activities. But Pat Kane built a file on Richard. Did some good old-fashioned police work. Credit to you, Pat. Built a file organically, started saving up, you know, information, news clippings, witnesses, accounts, and kept track of them. Eventually, five unsolved homicides, five, were linked to Kuklinski because he was the last person to see each of them alive. It would literally be like track down where their last whereabouts were. They went to see Richard and they never came back. Wow. While this is going, and this is the 1980s by now. So we're in the mid-1980s, 1985 specifically. A joint task force of law enforcement officials titled Operation Iceman, bring down the Iceman, was created between the New Jersey Attorney General's Office and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. And it was dedicated to one thing, arresting and convicting Richard Kuklinski. The ATF was involved due to Richard Kuklinski's firearm sales activities. This dude was doing everything, seriously. If it was a crime, he was into it. He was like, sell porn? Sure. Sell guns? Do that too. Whatever. Kill cats? Kill cats? What? Rob your house? He grew out of that, but... Shoot your granny? Yeah, he started killing people. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, the cats are fun and all, but this dude screams louder. Like, yeah, Joel's a little more. I mean, just... I hope he's stopped killing cats. I hope so, too. But it just, there's a different level of cruelty. R.I.P. to kitties. Poor kitties. Um, but it took a joint task force to bring this guy down. I mean, he, he was no common criminal. Normally, it's like, yeah, we're pretty sure this guy killed somebody. Let's go pick him up. No, he had a criminal enterprise running under him and had multiple safeguards so that he wouldn't get caught. It took two years of a task force really, almost two years, really going in depth. And finally, the straw that broke the camel's back, a gentleman named Special Agent Dominic Polifron went undercover for 18 months to apprehend Richard Kuklinski. You gotta think, my man's putting himself on the line for this. We must have the biggest kahunas on the planet. Balls of steel. Like, like, he volunteered for it. I watched a documentary and said he was like, I wanted to take down the Iceman. Like, I'm I sure did. that would be a cool thing to say you did, but also you're committing suicide. When someone <laughs> cuts your eyes out and blows your brain out the back of your skull, it's not that And cool. you know the Iceman would have made it painful. Had he oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, he was used to it at the time. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 1985, Pat Kane and Dominic Polifron worked with a gentleman named Phil Solomane, who's a close, longtime friend of Kuklinski. So I don't know if maybe he was the informant or if he was just a CI that they brought on after the fact to try and get Agent Polifron close to Kuklinski. 
he posed as a drug dealer and mafia affiliate who dealt in weapons. So at the time, these guys were, if you know the guy, you trust the guy. I'm kind of curious, though, because I feel like mafia members know that they weren't part of it. So wouldn't you think Richard would have been smart enough to cross-check it almost and be like, you know this dude? Is this dude cool? Or did they have a fucking ring of people that they have not too confident? That, yes. Did you guys ever see the movie Down in Brasco? I need to stop asking if you've seen these movies. No, because the answer is normally no. And even if it's not like, what? That's a really good movie, yeah, honestly. Every single It's the story ever. of a dude. Matt, you could ask me about a movie I, I have seen, and I don't know what you're talking about. I know. I'm sorry. But for those of you who haven't seen Donnie Brasco, those of you who have, I fuck with y'all. Those of you who haven't, I still like it. It was the story of a man named Joe Pistone. Who, I think he was FBI agent who went undercover with the Bonanno family. The Bonanno family. Yes, that's how it's said. Maybe. Yeah, it's one of, they were one of the five crime families in New York. Banana. Banano. B-O-N-A-N-O. Come on. They were figured in throughout the entire I five boroughs. Whatever. Bananas. Whatever. <laughs> you know the bananas next Let's to go Banano. Fuck. So anyways, this guy infiltrated the Banano crime family Banano. by posing as a guy named Donnie Brasco. Wow, they changed it really from Brasco to Banano. Banano. Oh, the Banano was the fam. Jesus Christ. I'm never going to be able to get through this with you guys. <laughs> the Banano family was the family. Gambino, Genovese, we're talking about Banano. What's the other? Who named their Lucchese and... That's a crime. Colombo. There we go. Those are the five. I'm going to get killed by one of these. Colombo, Genovese, Gambino, Banano, and Lucchese. There we go. Right? No, stop. They're going to come find us, please. Some low-level affiliate is going to come and find us. We're fucked. We're fucked. I was trying to tell a cool story. Now we're all fucked. Honestly. Let's get back into it. So, posing as a mafia-connected criminal named Dominic Provenzano, which I just love saying it like that. Dominic Polifrone. You want to talk about it. He didn't really change it that far. They went from... Dominic Polifrone to Dominic Provenzano. <laughs> just just give him the same name. Just give him the same fucking name. It's pretty close on his police badge. Now just give him the same name. But Dominic Provenzano, a.k.a. Polifrone, purchased a handgun muffler combination from Kuklinski. So that basically to screw on the muffler or the silencer onto a handgun. In recordings... Richard Kuklinski discusses a corpse he kept in a freezer for two and a half years. Casual, bro. He's talking about, yeah, I took this, took my son hunting. We killed a deer. I still have the meat from two and a half years ago. I should probably throw it out. Nope. Dead body. Chilling in the freezer. Not in my freezer. Check your parents' basement, fool. Agent Paula Frone was able to record several conversations with Kuklinski, which we talk about cojones. My dude went in there with a wire. And we're not talking about like modern day, it's the size of this button thing. This is like, nah, dude. He had a fucking tape recorder taped to his chest. Imagine, so someone gave this dude a hug. He was getting his nuts chopped off and fed to him. Apparently these people were, uh... It's a lot. What? They're willing to die. They you just gotta be place. balls of steel. Because you had to explain your way out of that one. What's that thing doing on you? Ah, uh, the, the new iPod. Watch the, why <laughs> Richard put it. 
wouldn't have checked that. That feels juvenile type shit. I'm saying, but he, he did. He recorded several conversations with this. Agent Paula Frone was told by Kuklinski he preferred killing his victims with poison because, and I quote, say it again, why be messy? You do it nice and calm. I mean, is he wrong? No, I guess not, but I mean, what? That's probably why he has a bazillion bodies, because if oh, you feel nice and slow, you can probably write it off as something else pretty easily. Cardiac arrest, overdose, whatever. That you, but if you blow someone's brain out, it's going to be like, okay, well. Well, I think if you're committing all these murders, you need less If you mess. chainsaw someone's head off, you're going to have people looking for you. Yeah, who's doing the cleanup, too? I just dumped the dude in a box and took him out back, and, you know, nobody noticed. All this is being recorded by an ATF agent. He's just, you know, putting himself out there, whatever. Let's talk a little bit about what finally led to Kuklinski's arrests. Because this is a reign of terror that we're talking went on for like, I mean, in the mid-50s, he killed his first person. Throughout the 60s, 70s, and early 80s, Kuklinski was involved in criminal activity, including killing multiple people. That's why I don't necessarily decry the fact that he said, I might have killed dozens, hundreds even of people. If he was killing people at will for years without detection and just disposing of bodies, maybe he was, dude. Who knows? On December 17th, 1986, Richard Kuklinski met Dominic Provenzano, a.k.a. Paula Frone, to get cyanide for a planned murder. Oh, you bitch. Which was to be an attempt on an undercover police officer. Yo, meanwhile, my dude is an undercover officer. And he's like, yeah, I guess I'll have to plan this guy's murder. How do you know you're not planning your own? Think about if you're having that conversation. He's like, yeah, I got to kill this undercover cop. He's like, but uh, I feel like that what's point, you're, you're like already past the point of sanity. You've already realized you very well might. He might turn around one day you're eating lunch. Pull it again. And blow you away. Like, yeah. Blow you the fuck away. I'm thinking, imagine Richard asking Provenzano, a.k.a. Paula Front, saying, I got to kill a cop. And he's like. Butch cop. You mean me? No, I wouldn't ask him like that, but he's thinking that. I was like, what? I think that that is a risk they already knew that they were taking. They're way past thinking that because they're already knowing dealing with this guy means I could be killed potentially at any second. So I don't feel like that's something that they're actively thinking of anymore. It's just in the back. I agreed to do this. Yeah, it's, yeah, nature of the beast, honestly. You're in that shit. You're that thick, deep in it. What do you do? You just keep chugging forward and hope I'm not the guy. On December 17th, he meets Kuklinski to buy cyanide for a planned murder of an undercover police officer. After this conversation, which was recorded by Dominic Polifrone, Richard Kuklinski went for a walk, decided to take a stroll. He tested the cyanide, which turned out to be fake cyanide on a stray dog. So it seems he did. Used a hamburger as bait and fed this, supposedly what he thought was cyanide-laced cheeseburger. Yeah, we have a dog scratching at our door now in protest, saying, what the fuck? He tested the hamburger cyanide on this poor dog, noticed it wasn't poisonous because the dog lived, and he became suspicious. He decided not to go through with the murder and instead went home. I wonder if he still killed the dog because he was so pissed. Oh, God, I hope not. I hope. He didn't have many other chances to kill anyone or anything because two hours later, 
He was arrested at a roadblock near his house. They sprung that trap. Barbara and Richard were pulling out of their driveway on their street when helicopters, detectives, and swarms of police officers descended around them to take Richard down. Barbara claimed she had no idea what was happening. She actually claimed for years that she was oblivious to his most sinister activities. That reminds me of the scene in Goodfellas, and yes, I'm quoting a lot of mafia movies today, you guys. A lot of mafia movies I've never seen. You gotta hear. Oh my God, you guys. I'm gonna be sick. Somebody call help. I don't feel good. Call help. So when Henry Hill got arrested in the movie, it was the same thing. He's backing out of his driveway, and some guy comes running up to his car door, and he goes, Don't you fucking move! Puts a gun on his head. And he said, I knew then that they were cops. Because if they'd have been wise guys, I'd have been dead. I'd have never heard a sound. Which I thought was... I knew they were cops because they said something. If it was if it was wise guys, I'd have been dead. Which is... Yes. They weren't wise. They were guys. They were cops, not ops. Barbara, actually, it, it's kind of funny. I mean, she claimed she didn't really know what was going on. I... I do believe that, that she didn't have the full extent of the knowledge. She's re repeatedly claimed that, by the way. It was like a one-off. But she also claimed she had no idea how he'd been funding their lavish lifestyle and that it was through killing other people for pay. When the arresting detectives informed her of the reason of the arrest of her husband, they said, he's a murderer. And Barbara said, all of a sudden, it was like, I knew that, she says now. I knew he was a murderer. That's what it took you to figure out? Prosecutors were able to charge Kuklinski with five murder counts and six weapons violations, as well as attempted robbery, robbery, attempted murder, and those five murders. His arrest was pretty sensationalized, and he denied any wrongdoing or any criminal activity as he was being led into the police station in handcuffs. And that is actually on tape. It's a wild tape where he's just cussing out the authorities, basically. He said, this is unwarranted, unnecessary. These guys watch too many movies. Maybe I'm guilty of the same thing. What can we say, guys? I would say so. Hey, I'd say you're guilty of not having watched enough. That's true. I think we just have different... Our circles of movies... The Venn diagram has no interlocking. There is no interlocking there, yeah. I have not seen any of the Housewives jewels, I have to oh admit. Oh, my God. Never have. Never will, quite frankly. Although I did laugh at that post you sent today. That was freaking... Well, I know the Taco Bell was just so funny, and then the stuff Brandon. Yeah, that that one, that blew me away. I don't even want to know if that's real. I'm disgusted. Well, that's, that's um Salt Lake City. Oh, God. Sorry. So they're like, there's crazy... Oh, God. You got to be kidding me. Real Housewives of Mormons. It's Real Houses, Real Houses, Wiveses, because there's multiples. Not all Mormon, though. To not derivate too far. At trial, Richard, again, he's charged with like 160-some counts or something ridiculous, which we've talked about before. Jesus, guys, just nail him. You know, at that point, we know who it was. At trial... His former associates, including fellow robbery crew members Percy House and Barbara Deppner, gave evidence against him. They must have realized he was going up, because otherwise they probably wouldn't have. As did Special Agent Paula Frone. 
The case was prosecuted by Deputy Attorney General Robert Carroll while Kuklinski was represented by a public defender. Kuklinski's lawyer argued that Kuklinski had no history of violence and only projected a, quote, tough image to his clients and anyone who knew him. Yeah, let's say so. He concluded that the reason for his aggressive dialogue with the undercover, the undercover detective who arrested him was because that's just kind of who he was, you know? He, he just kind of gives off this tough image, and that's the guy. So uh, I, I'm just going to say that sounds like bullshit. I mean, I know some pretty tough people. None of them talk about killing people with cyanide, so it's not as messy. I mean, people have their own definition of tough, but there's an image, and then there's being a serial killer or a hitman. We'll discuss. In March 1988, after numerous trial motions trying to forego the inevitable, Jurors found Richard Kuklinski guilty of murdering his robbery partners, Gary Smith and Daniel Dutner, who I suppose was his other partner, Barbara's husband. The jury found the deaths were not proven to be by Kuklinski's conduct, meaning he would not face the death penalty. So he was directly involved in their deaths, but didn't kill them is what that means. So he ordered them dead, basically. Um, but still doesn't mean he wasn't any less guilty. He was sentenced to a minimum 60 years in prison. This implies that he did not necessarily take direct action, but again was nonetheless responsible for their deaths. So they still gave him, I believe it was 20 to life, or 30 to life. At trial, he also claimed that he had killed other people that he was not being held for, which is kind of hilarious to me. After the trial, he also pled guilty to killing Louis Mazgay and George Maliband. Mazgay was a business partner whom Kuklinski was supposed to meet the day he disappeared. And the thing is, he was good at covering this up. But at the same time, it's like all these people, the, the way they tracked him down was basically like, who's the last person he went to see? Oh, it was Richard Kuklinski. And it just kept happening. Yeah, he was with Richard. Like, him too? It's kind of obvious at that point. Maliband disappeared on January 30th, 1980. Kuklinski killed George Maliband during a meeting to sell him some tapes. He was reportedly carrying $27,000 at the time, which Kuklinski killed him to rob him of. After a plea bargain, Kuklinski admitted to shooting him five times, explaining it was due to business. Boy, I, I gotta tell you, I don't know what he said, but he said the wrong thing. For those two murders, which he again pleaded to after he was found guilty of the others, Richard Kuklinski was sentenced to an additional two life sentences to be served consecutively. State prosecutors explained he would spend the rest of his life in prison if he had successful appeals to his previous convictions. He basically got a life without parole sentence is how that breaks down. Man. Interesting to note that the first two he was convicted of, quote-unquote, were not his direct murders but orders he gave, which were then carried out and he was still held responsible for. Yes, true. I wonder if that had any bearing on his sentencing, if they would have given him the death penalty if he'd... Con it looks as 30s. That's, yeah. That's why I'm kind of stuck on that, because I wonder if that has anything to do with it. So let's talk a little bit about post-trial before we get into our eye for an eye questions, because this guy's post-trial life actually had some pretty interesting twists and turns. 
Following his arrest and incarceration for the four murders he was convicted of or confessed to, Richard Kuklinski decided it was time to tell his story. He gave detailed descriptions of numerous murders and claimed some of the most infamous mafia murders in history to be his own handiwork, which is pretty wild. He granted interviews with writers, psychiatrists, criminologists, and offered differing accounts on how many people he killed, with a tally ranging from at least 100 to more than 200. He's claiming he did, over the years, much more than he was convicted of, obviously. These are just the five they could pin on him. He also first denied and then later claimed credit for the disappearance and death of Teamster boss Jimmy Hoffa. Do you guys know that story? I don't know the full story, but I do know who Jimmy Hoffa is. Yes. Jimmy Hoffa was the Teamster leader at the time, and he went missing. And that, at the time, was a hugely influential position in New York. He's the boss of the unions, basically. The iron workers, steel workers. And still to this day, Jimmy Hoffa has never been found. Oh, so I don't know how to. No. Bye-bye. Bye. Andale, andale, mama, E-I, E-I, uh-oh. The Iceman, andale, andale, mama, E-I, E-I, uh-oh. Oh, man. What is happening? I don't know what is happening. No, no, please. It is pretty clear that Kiklinski had the propensity to embellish in his repertoire, and it's never really been confirmed how many people he actually killed. At the same time he was committing these awful crimes, all this, he also claimed he loved his family more than anything. He continued to say that, and he kept mentioning it. Unfortunately, he was unable to keep his rage in check when it came to his wife. Um, it should be noted that despite her claim of ignorance and maybe an accurate claim of ignorance, Barbara Kuklinski was one of his more innocent victims and who probably more than anybody was subject to his rage on a random whim. Although he never took out his rage on his children directly, they still witnessed some of his really awful behavior. His daughters are still alive and now live with the pain of his crimes all these years later. He had a lasting legacy well beyond just the people he killed. That's what I was going to say earlier as you were talking about like how he did his best to shield his children from his monstrous behavior. Unfortunately, like, eventually that will, like, you can't, you know, like, can't and forever, forever. bringing it back to the housewives, like, when they do dumb shit and it's like, your kids are going to be able to watch you on television. On TV. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, this is different, but like. Still, although it, it is in a sense, Jules, and yet you can go on YouTube and watch this dude explain right. how he murked dozens of people yeah so maybe his daughters although if i were one of his kids i'd never want to hear about that's one of his daughters no way mm -hmm. wow we should send her a letter that's about your dad what do you have to say that would be really cool if we could somehow get them on the show but i'm sure everybody on the fucking planet yeah it's probably reached out to them they probably don't want to talk about it lisa you earlier asked the question how did richard kuklinski die as we said, the crimes he was convicted of did not encompass the death penalty statute. So, Richard Kuklinski died St. Francis Hospital, Trenton, New Jersey, March 5th, 2006. He'd been suffering from a rare inflammation of the blood vessels, and he claimed to family members that he had been poisoned. 
Oh, baby, I love your way. Every day. Motherfucking question. I really want to ask that first question. So, I want to ask that question first because we have numerous questions. I ask a lot of questions. I like the questions as well. What do we dialogue? Right. This is where we really break it down. What do we consider Richard Kuklinski, guys? What is he? Is he a serial killer or is he a hitman? And do me a favor, because I was going to say both. I want to rule that answer out, because we can kind of obviously say both. Aren't you the kind of person who, when I give you this or that option, you I always use say to both. answer? Because I always say both. That's why I'm giving it out for my crack. We'll answer both until you can tell me where the distinction comes. What's the dividing line, right? All right, then that's why I think it is both. I mean, there are oh, serial killers. Well, maybe if we're thinking of serial killer in the way of that, they go out specifically to kill for thrill, for fun. That's where I'm coming Versus for a job. He was being paid for these murders. But wait, but wait. But here's my weird thing about this, right? You know so Canada. my answer, and I was hoping somebody would agree with me. That's kind of why I threw that little caveat in there. Curious. My thing is he was a serial killer, though, because he wasn't doing all of this for profit. He would kill people on a random whim. He, he loves killing. He liked killing. He killed Ooh. animals. You both. He he did, but I consider him, he, he was a serial killer who just, like, enjoyed making money from what he was good at. He was a serial killer who happened to be picked up by the mafia. Yeah, like that, truly. Remember they were, we, we talked about, but I, but they I, saw him kill some guy at random, and they yeah. were like, oh, oh, shit, this dude is. Where his prime began. It's not where it began, right. but that's well, where right. the mafia was like, oh, he's really. Right. I, I think right. for he, Richard. He was killing motherfuckers well before they were paying him to do it. Right. You're right. I think that he became a hitman because because people he was in the right place in the right time. Exactly. But without he that, I think killing, he still would have killed. People. I mean, think about it. He was. I already kill people, and then these guys are willing to pay me to do it. Yeah, like, it's sex work, you know. I already exactly. I already like to have sex. Why not get paid for it? Yeah, I'm good at it. Why not do it for fun? There it is. So you guys have seen the movie The Dark Knight, right? I'm gonna you- keep throwing out movie. The Joker. It's my favorite. He says, he says, ready? He's like, if you want to kill the Batman, why not kill him? He says, if you're good at something, never do it for free. I love that you changed accents for both people. I did. I had to. <laughs> and it don't. No, okay. And do it. Forget it. We'll talk about that mystery another day. Okay. That's a WTH3 for the future. All right. All right. I Question agree. one that I had written down. I conclude he's a serial killer who just happened to get into the murder for profit business because yeah. he was like, yeah, I'm fucking with it. They're paying me to do something I already like. I'm going to talk a little bit about starting from the beginning. <laughs> was Richard Kuklinski a murderous psychopath? Which, yeah. <laughs> was Richard Kuklinski a murderous psychopath? Yes. A product of his violent upbringing? Yes. Or some combination of both? Also, yes. We, we're going to need one answer for that. Both. I want both. You guys ever seen the movie Radio? Oh, my God. No, Radio is a real movie. I'm going to go through this Come and on. tally how many fucking times you've said that today. I count five. Have you? I've counted five. For anyone out there who's a movie buff, holla at me, because these two don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. That's spinoff, because we are starting a podcast network. Oh, yeah. You'll be in the show. Okay. I I do movies and songs, man. All right. (laughs) Question two. This is an important one, because I think this is, at least Sansers is a candid one. (laughs) What took authorities so long to find him? 
Did his status within the mafia perhaps keep him from being prosecuted much earlier? Yes. Yes. Do we think they held sway, or the sway they held, I should say, in any way impacted his criminal activities? Yes. Do you want to know my theory on this? Yeah. Hit me. <laughs> That's why I asked. Um, I think, yes, they, the mafia probably kept him away from prosecution because they are very powerful, as we all know. Like shielded him from all that. But I also think that this is probably controversial, but that the police force, at least at this time, but I also still think this kind of happens now, is in cahoots with the mafia because the mafia has a lot of money. Money, money, money. Money, money, money. And, and they can make deals with mafia people, right? If you bring over this amount of drug or whatever and you sell it to these people, we won't prosecute you if you give us a cut. Or if you, because they're very influential, and especially with guys like this who will kill anyone. I mean, they had a hit on a cop, right? So I think maybe that's where things started to break down. Sure, there's probably some cops, that, rogue cops that were like, I'm going to get this man if it's the last thing I do. Yeah, some a la Zodiac killer type thing, like hunt him down, want to take him, want to be the name associated with taking the Iceman down. Right. But I think it only really got serious when they got wind that he was trying to get a police officer. Well, they had a guy undercover with him before that. But at the same time, I think. Yeah, but he was undercover for a while. He didn't. Uh, yeah, it shit didn't hit the fan until he was like, I'm killing a cop. And they're like, oh, what? Like. But I, I truly believe that with cartels and mafias, I think. Well, the cartels in particular, are you referring specifically to Mexico and Colombia where they've held the most sway? One billion percent, that's what goes on. And, and it, it, it definitely here. happened here, too, in, in these cases. And that's why I asked this question. So I want point? that pointed out. I think I agree 100%. I don't necessarily know how far they went to shield him. Did they outright kill people to keep him from being prosecuted? Did they pay mayors, judges, cops, lieutenants, everybody. chief, everybody? Because what do you think, Jules? I think they had some sort of they coming in hot person kind of leading things astray or just outside influence of the mafia. Yeah, just real. Right? I don't right. fuck with these guys. They'll kill me and they don't have a fucking care in the world. Yeah. If he was just a random man out killing. So that's something we were discussing. If he wasn't a hitman. <laughs> And strictly a serial killer. I still think he took um, precautions, for lack of a better term. He didn't want to get caught. Right. So I think that definitely played a part, but I think. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I read your next question wrong, and I thought it said, when analyzing Richard Kuklinski, what other nickname would you give him? And I was like, well, Iceman's <laughs> not good enough. Iceman's plenty good for me. <laughs> not my question, though, and that's that's a good one is when analyzing Richard Kuklinski, he is what I would call the incarnation of evil. Someone who just likes to kill for the hell of it and enjoys that element of it. Is there anything we can learn from him, though? From all these post-trial interviews, can we learn from this man? I will say originally when I watched the interviews, I found him to be like braggadocious like boastful but in a way where it almost felt like he was lying he wanted himself to seem a lot cooler than or more tough than we said we get where he did and like, you can 
feel it in some of what he says because he yeah. says it so flippantly. And I think he got off on the idea that people, people are scared. Yeah, people thought that that was so scary, which it is because the way he does say things is creepy. And it's very just dry. Um, I do think there's a lot we can learn from him. But I think that's the hard part is you don't know what's fact, what's fiction. Right. Like, you know, he copped to some runners. He didn't cop to others. He randomly copped to more later. Yep. And it's kind of what can we take at face value? How would we ever know? Because the mafia's not come out and be like, yeah, we got Richard to kill again. I got a list. Here's the list. I will say, if he has details that cooperate what he's saying, which I'm sure he has for some Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, Although a vat of acid doesn't exactly come back. I do think there's a lot that we can learn from him. We've talked about before other killers and stuff. I don't always think the answer is sentencing them to death because I do think if they're willing to talk, let them talk let and let them the say what talking. Yeah. It's some Hannibal Lecter shit. You want to learn from the best to get the worst. How to get the worst. So that's a great way to phrase it, please. Well done. <laughs> Smirking like you knew what you just said. <laughs> you bet. What do you think? People just had lost the question. Just just it's okay. I was listening, but I don't know where the original question was. It's three. Yeah, I mean... Is there anything we can learn from this man? I think yes, but I think we have to balance. If the options were he gets put to death or we learn from him... Kill him. Right. So it's hard, but um, I don't know. And there's just so many factors you would need to manipulate to see his case play out again. And and we're never going to be able to manipulate those circumstances. I think what he shared is valuable, but I I don't think we need... I, I honestly think what I take from this, learn from him, is about how he became what he was. His upbringing and his exposure to violence at a young age. His tendencies towards killing animals. What it was that made him just an outright monster. Because he really was. I mean, honestly, no matter how you break him down. You could, even if you could manipulate all those factors you have a totally different you that's so true jules there's a lot of people that go through that same shit but as far as indicators go to me that's what i would think that's the only thing we can learn from him because lisa said he might be sitting here telling us yeah i killed jimmy hoff i killed john f kennedy too oh and guess what there's no way that we'll know right if he's telling the truth i want to know about tell me about your father richard Tell me about what made him, made you what you are. Yeah, what would have been valuable, but totally ancient from Richard about the mafia. Yes. I mean, then we would really go back to what we were talking about before. How do police and other authorities act on that information? Or don't they because we're scared? Well, Sandy the Bull reminded He became... He was the uh, number one hitman for John Gotham, right here in Everwell. He became state witness. It was put into the witness protection program. And they said that they learned so much from him about how the organization was run. Right. Because he was in a, a like, well, That would be more valuable. That is valuable. Yeah. Yes, Joe. I like that point. I didn't thought that. But yeah, how do we talk about that? What? integral part he played in the organization and then he had his own private organization too which is nuts to me we talked a little bit my next question is more about his actual arrest how we got there 
The undercover agents, ATF, New Jersey, New York police, set him up for a fall. But was it entrapment? No, I want to read the definition of entrapment. Yeah, real quick on you guys, because that's something that I think makes a big difference, right? So the definition, hold on, wait a minute. Let me put something in it. Entrapment is the action of tricking someone into committing a crime in order to secure their prosecution. Police get accused of this a lot. Tell me, what do we think? No. No? What do you think? No, you don't think it was entrapment? No. Well, I think even if it was, why does that matter? I, I think, well, it, it's illegal. It, it's it, it, you can't entrap somebody. Like that's that, like, plans, feeling like, like drugs on you and yeah. arresting you. That's like basically you, you almost trick someone into committing a crime scene. Doing what they did. But I, 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 um, so like, I'll say no. Cause this dude probably would have bought cyanide from somebody at some point anyways. So wait, like, hold on. Hold on a second. The reason I say no is because it's not but for the police being there. They didn't set up the crime. He was going to commit it regardless. I just think they happened to be undercover at the time that he was going to commit one of another million of his crimes. The only part I would assume that they played in the whole thing was playing up to it. So not making it obvious that, that they are cops, right? Then they probably tried to help in order to throw him off from thinking that they were something they did not. Because I'm sure he was like, you're acting fucking weird. Right. I'm going to... I know you're, but other than that, no, for me personally, I want to be curious what you guys think. I do not think it was entrapment because I think he was going to be doing the same shit. He was already doing the same shit. I think if the police had any involvement or the undercover agents had any involvement, it was more just going along with what was already in place. Right, right. In order to not blow their cover. Right. They weren't setting him up so that he was committing this crime because of them. I think he would have probably bought cyanide from somebody at some point in the near future he was killing a lot of people at the time so he probably it seems like he already had cyanide he just needed to re-up his uh, yeah he was he was just you know re-stashing subscribe and see money load up the choppers like what do you think i agree i i was trying to make sure i understood the differentiation because it does seem that from what was heard it doesn't seem they did it to force him to do something he was right I would agree. I would agree. Oh, man. All right. It's tough for me because I do see where that idea comes in. I do too. You know, I I don't necessarily think. But I think there's many stronger cases of entrapment that are not with Richard. Oh, how many murders do we believe he actually committed? Does that 100 to 200 number make sense? Or do we believe he may have embellished because that's what he is? Does that count include direct murders that he committed or murders he... All encompassing. Every, he, he was responsible for... Because he was prosecuted for two that he quote-unquote ordered, right. organized. Right. So we'll include those. How many do we think? I think the 100 to 200 sound... I mean, not that it sounds reasonable, but I... That's possible. Uh, mm-hmm. See, I, I think it sounds... Too much? No, I think it sounds too little. What's that mean? Low ball. I think because I'm a sane human being who's never killed a single person, it feels like a lot, but I agree with both of you in a way in that they said these type of cartel mafia, they have power that's unfathomable. Right. And 
I feel as a layman on the sideline here just chilling. It feels crazy to say that that could be legit. But thinking about the power that these entities hold and the uh, violence that they use to keep their power and and establish that power, I think that between you two, either from 100 on, I think that makes sense. Now, I don't know if necessarily that means Richard by himself killed 100 people. If he had hits out on other people, if he assisted other people, I'm not sure about that. But I do think that number seems low. I'd be curious to know total. But I, I would. I wish we could get a total. We never will, unfortunately. But, I mean, it just blows me away, man. It blows him away. Blows me away. Because this dude confessed to dozens, dozens of murders. Yeah. And, I mean, gave details. And that might not be all of them. So I, I do think it's low ball because honestly, I'm pretty sure at the time he wasn't keeping track. And he alleged. I mean, do you like have a tally people. sheet of the murders that you've committed? No, I have it in my phone and a note. What do you mean? Everything else. <laughs> All right. Let's get to the big underlying question, ladies. Eye for an eye. Was it met? He was sentenced to multiple life sentences, 60 years and two life sentences. Was eye for an eye met? You're going to like my answer to this one, I think. Is it take the bullet out of his head and blow his brain down? No, nope, I want to hear your answer first, then I'm saying. Jules, you go first. Sorry, I'm just reading, so I'm what exactly what? Two Two life sentences for the murders he confessed to. Which is one under to two. To run concurrently, okay. yeah. Good luck, yeah. Couple hundred. So, I mean, if he tried to be in 102 murders, he should have been put to death. I mean, can we at least force him to be fucking honest? Truth, baby. So, no, I don't think. I don't either. However, I mean, I would sentence him to death, but in the in the way that it actually functions, meaning you're going to be on death row for 30 years and then you'll maybe get killed because I do think we could get some stuff out of him. It's, I don't think he'll ever snitch on mafia secrets ever. Uh, Yeah, that's the thing. It's hard for me to imagine. But I think even just the little things that he said about how he's killed people, where he killed people, how he killed random people walking down the street just because they said that person, I think that could give a, a healthy dose of insight to the police force and the task force that do try to break down, you know, criminal masterminds and shit like that. So, no, I don't think I for an I was meant, but I do, I am happy that we were able to get information out of this man that's now, he was icy once, but now he's burning in the pits of hell. That's for sure. Hell uh, yeah. What do you think, Matt? That's why I asked. So normally... <laughs> How I say this is take the piece of shit out back, put a bullet in his brain, dig the bullet out, clean it off, load it back in, use it on the next psycho. Yep. That seems a little too quick. If that wasn't so vulgar, I'd put it on a t-shirt. It's also pretty long. I don't think you can get that to fit, but I'll get that trademarked if you do. Mm-mm. No, no, this, this needs to be much more painful. This dude. Oh, you want to torture him? Rip oh, his yeah. finger and nails off. Oh, no. I want starting at his toes. A half an inch, a half an inch removed with a dull blade every hour. Wow. 
until you get up to the point. Hold one eyeball out. Be remember the one out. Sounds good. You can do that. Throw that in there. Little but, paper cuts. But little cuts, one at a time. Until he's like Monica. Until he's literally a filleted. What are they called? Accordion. Fish. Give me back that filet. Wow. Give me that fish. I want this dude to suffer. Wow. I'm actually kind of surprised. Really? Because I actually am not. I I, I think this dude is despicable. I can't believe that they were like, yeah, just put him in jail. There's all kinds of evidence that this guy killed multiple people. Not just him testifying it. Testifying to it, I should say. There are multiple witnesses that said, yeah, he was one of the most feared hitmen for the longest time and ran shit for the longest time. How, how that can go off is like, yeah, you know, just put him in jail. Crazy to me, yo. Crazy. I don't think he suffered nearly enough. He died of a quote unquote heart. What did they say? Inflated blood, inflamed blood vessels or something. Do you think he was poisoned? Could have been. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that wouldn't would, shock that me. Would be like a nice little... That would be at least something. Yeah. But did he suffer much from that for like a couple of days? Maybe. I want it drawn out and long and painful. Man's got him locked in the basement. Actually, he's actually not dead. He's in my cellar. He's the ghost of the team. Oh, yes. He's big as fuck. That's what, right. He's I just don't, I, I don't, I mean, again, I hate to be violent and everybody knows here that I'm not a psychopath. Oh, no, he is. He really, really is. Uh, sort of. But I'm disgusted by the fact that this guy lived. Well, guys, there you have it. That was a wonderful rendition of Eye for an Eye. Let us know what you guys think. Is this man a serial killer, a hit, a hit boy? What's it, what's it called? A hit man. Hitman. Do you guys think he bring in the hit boy? A hundred people less than over than what are the thoughts? What are the feelings? We want to get them all. Please, if your ears are hearing this show, come on over to the good old podcast writing system and give us a good old four or five stars, whatever you feel we deserve, even if it's a one. It hurts our feelings a little bit, but we'll take it in stride because a rate is a rate. Um, check out our merch. We got a lot of cool stuff. Make sure you well by the time this airs, the great potato. Oh my god, the great potato debate would be long gone, but we can always. Oh do it no, again. it's gonna be well underway. I feel like this is gonna go on for eternity. I feel like it's gonna go on for centuries. You think it's? Okay. I think it's gonna go on till April. We're gonna continue to get submissions into eternity. See you guys in eternity. But thank you all seriously for checking us out. Woo. If you're new here, we love you. We love you. And we are very appreciative you hung out with us tonight or today or whatever. That's grab a room, day grab your friends, grab yourself. We don't give a shit. We love you. That's also a movie. It's also this doesn't fun. come out till June. So have, I hope everyone's having a good summer. Oh, I hope I'm not wearing a shirt when I'm listening to this. It's cold as fuck right now. Trolls will be married. God, I'll be sick. I will not be. So yeah, Matt Ryder, I will not be. We'll be and Mrs. Kuklinski. <laughs> and on that note, y'all, we love you. Have a wonderful rest of your night. Bye, Mrs. <laughs> Kuklinski. <laughs>